Okay. Justin? Good? Hello, I'm Justin from UN Jefferson. Oh, not, we're good. You're good, though, right? I'm good. Awesome. <laughs> that was perfect. Hi. The following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. I'm Steve Davis from Radical Road. Welcome. Uh, Kareem and Greg have started doing every Tuesday night a podcast live from here called Welcome to the Music. Uh, some nights it's just an interview sitting at the, the corner here at the bar, but some nights we're fortunate enough to have a performance as well, and that's what we've got tonight uh, with UN Jefferson. So I'm going to turn it over to the guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I already said this, but I'll say it again. I'm Justin from UN Jefferson. Uh, my name is Ajay, and welcome to the music. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Yeah, thanks. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Welcome here. Our, your second time. Yes. In, in, the, in the deep end. There you go. Listen, I need you to like almost make love to that mic. Uh, that's... Won't be hard. Okay, good. We, we won't. We won't tell your mom. So your mom is. So I'm a little bit disappointed because every time you perform, well, that I've seen you perform, mom's always there. Yeah, yeah. She's a little under the weather All right. today. So, well, we'll dedicate this yeah. to your mom. Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> and Justin, thank you so much. Thanks for having for, me. For for hopping on the mic, really, really yeah. appreciate it. Um, actually, if you, if you don't mind, I want to start off, Justin, with you. You've played with. So many. If, if people don't know who Justin is, he's, he's Justin with a capital J. You've played literally with tons of people. You've played with uh, Buffy St. Marie. Uh, you've played with Jack Soul uh, and so many, many, many others. Um, my question is, is well, I, I want, I'm going to ask you about you know working with, with some of these people, um, but I want to ask... I know with a J, you know, it took like three bands to sort of, I'm going to the front. I'm going to write, I'm going to sing, I'm going to lead. Justin, with yourself, I'm curious, uh, as many people and bands that you've played with, um, have you had the opportunity to sort of lead your own band and go forth on your own? Uh, well, when I first started playing, I was never, I never set out to be a side musician, session musician, producer. It was never something that I thought about. I always wanted to be in a band. Yeah. And I think most people, when they start playing music, they want to be in a band. Um, but as things evolved, and, you know, I grew up in the 80s and, you know, like certain kind of music then, and then that music kind of died. The 90s came and things were different. Um, I had this opportunity. I mean, I had lots of, like many people do, different opportunities that would, you know, failed opportunities, let's say. <laughs> um, and then... Through serendipity and kind of a connection I had, I was at the University of Toronto doing a degree in music, and a friend of mine there lived with the keyboard player from Jack Soul, and then you were looking for a guitar player. So that happened in the mid '90s, and you know that kind of kickstarted my career in terms of being more visible and known to people. At the time, we were an independent band, hmm. and in the course of the first year, we made a record independently, and. You know, we were back when much music played bands and music. Yeah, music um, videos. Yeah, we were we. You know, Master T and um, 
Michael Williams and oh yeah Erica M. Erica M. Remember those days? Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so we would actually go and play. I mean, you remember Electric Circus? Yeah. So we actually played on that show <laughs> yes. when they had bands. So you know, in the first year, things accelerated very quickly. This is at a time when people actually went out to see live music a lot mm-hmm. and supported. We used to play a club in Toronto called the Bamboo. Oh yeah, uh, I love the Bamboo. Queen and Peter. Amazing place, amazing people, great food. And we played there on a pretty regular basis and built a great following. And um, our singer from the band uh, ended up on the cover of Now. Like, this is in the first few months. And then we eventually got signed. And then from that, I'll condense this story. From that time, (laughs) you know, you get to, you get exposed to more people. People knew the band and they got to know the different players. And from that, it kind of created more opportunities for me and kind of branched out into all sorts of different things as a guitar player, as a songwriter, and as a, as a producer. But my very first recording that I did was an instrumental cassette, which is what got me into Jack Soul. It was like a five-song EP. Couldn't even afford to press CDs. And it was kind of like a, I don't know, hard to describe, a funky, jazzy, country, you know, guitar player-y kind of record, which I would never make now. But it gave people an idea of what I did. So yeah. at the time, I was tired of playing in cover bands and wedding bands, and I didn't really want to do that. Yeah. And that's what Jaxel heard and thought, oh, okay, let's try this guy out. So that's a medium-length answer for you. That is awesome. You made, this question is for both of you. you. You mentioned, Justin, about you know music changing in the 90s. Um, and there's so many places we can go with that, with the type of music to how people listen or consume music or collect music the venues the venues i mean or lack thereof so much has changed um you know you talk about a cassette Mm -hmm. you know i don't know if my 13 year old son can fathom what the heck is a cassette and how did music go on that little tiny tape and you know what if it broke and you know you can put it back together with cello tape for for you guys, you know, individually, like what what is what has been the biggest change in music for you guys? Uh, for me, it's um, just venues and shows playing live. It was uh, I felt it was a lot easier back then because there was a, a lot of venues to play at, and um, being in London, there was a, a number of venues to play at. Um, and I just find that I just heard that there was another one that closed down in London. So I think there's only three left. So hmm. I started out there and that's where I kind of was introduced to that whole scene and how it worked. And then it just kind of branched out and then Toronto and all those things. And it, I felt it was the same all around, but trying to get shows now and doing things like that, it's, it's a lot harder. And um, there's not as many venues as I remember. What about you, Justin? What's changed well, for you? I'd say that, you know, without getting too existential about this, like music has been around as long as humans have been around. Sure. And it wasn't until the 20th century that people could actually record it. So before that, you have to go and experience it live with other human beings. And since recording music has happened, even though the medium has changed, and whether it's vinyl or cassettes or CDs, digital or whatever... I don't think it really matters that much, but what I do think has changed is people's perceived value of music. I still think it's an important part of most people's lives, but as you notice with your kids, I notice it with my kids, 
they don't have the same connection to, let's say, an artist. It's like, well, I kind of know that song, yeah, but I don't really have any relationship to it, and I don't have a need to go see them play. I mean, obviously, there's a top tier. When I say top tier, I just really mean the artists with the most accessibility that are playing arenas and stadiums. Yeah. It's such a small percentage of people that are doing that. Yet there's never been more music ever in the history of music. Like People are creating all the time. They can do it at home. They can upload it. So everyone's on the same playing field. I just think, you know, for, for, for most of us sitting up here, like music was such a huge part of my upbringing. Like I remember even being, like before I played an instrument, I was completely obsessed with records. I would listen to the Stones and the Beatles and Pink Floyd and Supertramp and Stevie Wonder and Miles. Like this is before I was eight years old. Hmm. Like I just loved music. But I think nowadays as I watch my kids, they're interested in other things, whether it's professional sports or playing video games or interactive video games. Like people want to be involved in stuff. You know, like even when you see bands putting out the records, some bands have put out the stems, like, oh, you can do a remix for us and post it. Like, there's different ways to consume. I just think for a new, for the new generation, it's 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 just a different experience. It's not that they aren't as interested in it. And, and it as we all know, it's hard to monetize this now and make music an actual viable career you, um, more than ever. I was going to say, do you, like, the way we, the access to music is so big now. And you're talking about, you know, so much attention or gaining people's attention can be so much more difficult. Do you think that's also why, and we've talked about this with a couple of other people, that like bands these days, and it's great to see you guys put out an album, bands are really starting to focus on songs. Like if you look at even Alexis on Fire, right? They're now just putting out songs, much like USS has been doing for so long. It seems like a different model these days. I mean, we've discussed that as well. <laughs> um, I I love records and I love product. Um, it's a different experience when you pull a record out of a sleeve and you look at the liner notes and you pop it on the player, opposed to going on the internet to a Spotify account, yeah. which I understand that's a big part these days, but I, that'll always have a place in my heart to have a CD or a record, right? For for a while, you know, if we're going to talk about the 90s and stuff, it was always like, I always wanted to have a CD. I always wanted to have a CD. And then bands I was in had CDs and it was great. And then, you know, vinyl started coming back and it got to be more accessible for bands to afford to have vinyl. And uh, the last band I was in got vinyl and it was like the first time something that I was involved in was on vinyl. Right. So I also think when you have vinyl, you're more likely to sit down and listen to an entire side of music. Yeah. Rather than mm-hmm. just consume yeah. a song or 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Yeah, exactly. There's no skip button. And uh, yeah. you appreciate it more. And, and the thing is, it's I feel it's more of an experience, too, because not only as you're listening, you're looking. So it's a couple of different mediums happening at the same time. So my heart's always been that way to, to have something like that. Are you guys just old boomers complaining about? <laughs> oh, there's no complaints. There's no complaints. There's no complaints. It's 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 just what we we like. We've had this conversation. And yeah. It's like yeah. I, I was thinking like I I love having product and that we just decided to do that. I mean, truthfully for me, just because I'm always making music. Yeah. I don't own a record player. I don't own a CD player. I listen to like stuff digitally. Yeah. Um, I don't have Spotify. I don't have any of that stuff. And it's not because I don't want to i just 
don't have time. Mm -hmm. Like I'm always working, making music with somebody and I'm learning or listening or creating music with other artists. So I don't know how the rest of the world usually takes it in. I mean, at some point maybe I'll I'll do that. So (laughs) then I work with a lot of young artists too. So it's great to see it through their lens Mm -hmm. as to how, you know, how they think about things. Okay. You know, usually you want to overwrite for a record. But now if you're only putting out a song, maybe you write three or four and pick the best one and you just put that out and you know, you're trying to have content as much as you can. I, listen, I think a lot of people like to freeze frame what they think their ideal time was in their life, whether it's teens or 20s or 30s. And that could mean different things for, for different people. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a very sentimental person. I don't look back and go, oh, that was so awesome. <laughs> We're here now. We're doing this now. And if you want to survive in the music business, yeah. not just make the music business, you have to adapt. And and part of that is the medium, but part of it also is the process. Part of it is how you manage your budget. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of elements that, that go into that. Nice. How did, Ajay, when you started you and Jefferson, uh, what attracted you to give a call out to Justin and say, hey, I want you on this project? Well, it happened like this. I was uh, playing in another band, and we were in the studio working on some things. And while we were no longer in the studio, and uh, the engineer, Darren, um, was working working on the stuff that we had just recorded, Justin had come in with another artist, uh, and Darren, knowing Justin, said, hey, uh, I got this band I'm working with. I'd like your opinion on that or so you know, mm. I might give it a listen and Justin was like sure and so he played uh, the things we were working on with Justin and uh, Justin was like oh it's great if they you know if they need any help like sounds great I'd love to work on it mm-hmm. and Darren told me that and the rest is history all right what band was what, what band was that uh, it was a band called Marcellus Wallace oh okay yeah, yeah. look at that we got some <laughs> Marcellus Wallace <laughs> Now, every, everyone, I'm sure, asks you about your band names because yeah. I just just came in my mind because Marcellus Wallace, obviously from Pulp Fiction, yeah, I believe, and then you and Jefferson from Revenge of the Nerds, yeah. Disco from Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's up with what's up with? I think he likes movies. I mean, you know, movies he are likes cool. Very specific. <laughs> very specific. I have the list. I'll never let anyone know of all the potential band names that he was going to name this band. Were they all based on movies? No, they weren't, oh. actually. Wow. They weren't. But this one, this makes sense. This, this one made sense. It just makes sense, yeah. I mean, all the bands that I played in that have movie references weren't necessarily, they were just more like nods, I guess. It was, to me, as a kid, all those names just rang with me, right? They just, they sounded cool. And it didn't really matter where they came from. It just happened to be, you know, in a movie. And uh, this name was something that, I heard when I was younger, and it just sounded cool to me. Okay. I was going to ask what your favorite movie is and then predict that one day. Uh, (laughs) I don't have a favorite movie. Uh, No, that's not true. E.T. E.T. Extraterrestrial. I couldn't couldn't name the the band E.T. (laughs) I want to talk about the the making of this album. Um, You wrote the lyrics, the music, everything. But then uh, Justin, from what I've read, Justin, you came on and you like blew it up. Like, not, not destroyed it, but sort of <laughs> like blew it up, up. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I'm very – as the only person here who has never been in the music business or industry or attempted any, you know, uh, instrument outside of a ukulele. You play it well. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about this whole process of writing and and then giving giving that up to Justin to take to another level. Well – I've always been told if you want to be successful, like surround yourself with people uh, who are who, who know what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I, I've always just made music and hung out with my friends and did that sort of thing and, and tried to learn from people who knew a lot more than me. And um, I had a handful of songs. And when we decided to work together, I said, like, actually, he said, all the songs that you have record them acoustically. I don't want to hear anything else. I just want to hear you and a guitar. Mm-hmm. So locked myself in my room for a week and recorded all these songs acoustically and then gave them to Justin and he just wanted to hear them in the most purest form and kind of have his ideas based on that. And then after we talked about that, I also showed him the full instrumentals, as full as I could have made them. And he gave me his opinion on them and he did his thing which was took them to another level and made them what they are today hmm. where where did the songs come from like are there things that you've been thinking about for years I mean they come from a lot of places they come from uh, situations that I've seen people in hmm. they've come from situations I've been in They've come from things that, like imaginary situations. Yeah. And basically, there's bits and pieces. For me, a song is not just as straightforward as, as, as this is uh, what happened on December 20th, and this is what the song's about. Mm-hmm. It may start from there, but that just makes me think of other things that are related to that and that are similar. Uh, so I kind of just throw it all in a pod and and to me that's the the art part for me because it's it's like taking different colors from a palette and making the picture yeah right i'm not it's not just from one palette right so they just come from it comes from a, a lot of different places i mean some songs have even come from like dreams i've had just just which, ideas which, which just song thoughts, is that tell me about that ideas. tell me about that the dream thing um well there's a song that i wrote called uh, these chains and it was like literally I was, for some reason, in someone's car, and um, the, that song was on the radio, right? And the guy, the guy who was driving, who was familiar yet not familiar, was, like, singing the hook. Hmm. And it was like, these change, you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I woke up, and I was like, that sounded cool. So, like, I pressed record on my phone, and I kind of recorded the melody, and then started working on it. Hmm. So, I mean, it made me think of ideas, but it literally came from a melody I heard in my dream from a situation that had nothing to do with it. Generally speaking, how do you guys collect your ideas? Like, you you talk about the phone. I know, for me, my phone was on my bed. Before that, I had a pen and paper, and I would literally get up and write it down, because if I didn't, I couldn't go back to sleep. (laughs) It's it's funny that you mentioned cassettes, because... In my desk, I have like stacks of cassettes because I used to carry around a um, 
a little handheld tape recorder mm-hmm. um, that took regular size cassettes. It wasn't one of those small ones. It was a big one. And uh, when I was just practicing, I'd, if I had an idea, I'd just press record or I'd hum stuff into it. Uh, and once in a while, I, I will go back and listen to those. But nowadays, it's just on my phone. It's, it's so convenient because unlimited space. Uh, but it's also not cool because there's so many things to, to look through. But what I do find is sometimes I'll have an idea and I'll record it. And then when I go back to look for ideas when, I'm, when I can't think of anything, yeah. when the same idea pops up more than once oh, really? over a course of time, yeah. that's, then I know that I need to work on that one. Interesting. Because I've thought about it before and it's just come up again. So it just makes me go, okay, let me, let me work on this one. And you, you write with a guitar? Uh, it depends. Okay. So, sometimes it's a guitar, sometimes it's keys. Uh, sometimes it's like just the drum beat makes me think of like a rhythm or um, like a vocal melody. And I just kind of, sometimes it's bits and pieces and I just put it all together. Every song's different. Uh, hmm. I, I'd love to say, you know, I just take a guitar and I just write songs, but I, it, it doesn't happen that way. I wish it was that easy. Um, sometimes I find myself noodling around and, and I don't think of anything and then I'll just hop on the keys and just mash around and oh something will happen do you have to set aside time for that like do you say you know this is my schedule of whatever is locking <laughs> myself in a studio or your room with a guitar pen and paper your phone um, well that depends too because there are times in my life where I find myself constantly recording ideas so I have a lot of ideas Yeah. there's times when no ideas come, so I don't really work on it. I work okay. on other things like vocal practice or you know rehearsing sets and things. But there are periods of time where one idea will come or many, and that's when I know that I need to I need to get it out or else I can't. Like that's what I. Uh, you probably are the same way. That's all I think about. Like I'll I'll, I'll be at work and I'll I'll have a keyboard there and on, when I'm on a break and I'll I'll do it. You know, and just try mm. and record some more until yeah. the pieces of the puzzle kind of make a bigger picture, and then, then the then that process starts of taking it to the next level. So, Justin, you you get this recordings from a J, him and his guitar. Like, what do you do with that? What do you think? Are you honest with a J, or are you like I work for a J? Like, how do you approach that? I'm always like, how honest. is your relationship? Uh, you can ask him. We've no. been working on new songs, and he'll tell you. Like, I, this to me, there is no point spending any money <laughs> on anything but great songs. That is all that matters. This is period. This, yeah, this is why I love working with him because he'll. I mean, I've brought him stuff, and he's like, "No, man." Like, well, what? Having said that, we worked on tons of songs that we haven't recorded yet. And sometimes it's a lyrical thing. Sometimes, like, we talk about groove or bass lines or keys parts, whatever it is. But ultimately, we do talk about the story, what he's trying to say, and what's the mm. best way to represent that. But the other thing that's great about this band is he knows, he's very clear in his vision about this is what I want to portray, this is what I want people to feel. And so we make sure that we have songs that, you know, live in that space. But we're playing one tonight that um, maybe some people here have heard, maybe they haven't, that'll probably be on the next record. That's not quite as like, you know, anyone that's a musician, it's not over like 130 beats per minute. Like it's kind of more chill because we realize as we do longer shows, it's kind of nice to have a a moment to breathe for the audience as much as it is for us. (laughs) Yeah. But it still has to be in that zone of 
it's got to be soulful. It's got to be upbeat. It's it's got to have groove. And one thing I just want to say is when when OJ came to me, we actually auditioned a lot of players to play on this record, which is not something I usually do. I usually you know, kind of cast it the way that I feel makes sense for that artist. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I brought in different rhythm sections and keyboard players that, that I really liked that I thought would be good. And we tried like four or five different groups of people. And um, he ended up picking the youngest group of people that I brought out. So that's Chad Davis on drums and Alex St. Kitts on bass and, and, and Joel Vicentine on, on keys. All great players, all players I'd worked with in the past. But I just thought, oh, you're going for that retro kind of, you know, 60s, 70s thing. That's why I brought in those guys. But he loved what younger players brought in terms of like their knowledge of that music, but then their mm. their own modern take on it. And they've become just as much a part of this as as we are because they've really helped shape how that is. Even though we give them demos that are pretty much all there. Well, that's the way you like to work, right? Like you like to. I want to know what the guitars are. Let's do all the horns. Let's you know. Let's do everything and then go and record it with with you know proper people that play those instruments but you know it's it's important for me to have a team of people around me like the musicians the engineers like all, all of that stuff matters but but honestly none of it matters if you don't have a great song yeah so for me when your, your question was when i get the acoustic songs i i really just listen for how it makes me feel and i i can imagine what other things could happen but ultimately, if it doesn't work like that, like e even today, you know, when we're playing these songs acoustically, it was pretty clear which ones work for that configuration. But all of them work because mm -hmm. a song is a song is a song. You know? Yeah. You know, there's if you have a great song, you can record it in any number of ways. You could just sit here and sing it. And there's your song. So but we kind of, you know, butt heads sometimes, which I think is important. That's what makes the record better like there's a song on the record that i didn't think was worthy of being on there i won't say which one oh. and no i won't say um but it forced me to like dig deeper and kind of bring it out because he's like i really want this song on the record i think there's something there so i started thinking okay what can i do arrangement wise with different instrumentation and different parts and whatnot um but i do think it's important regardless of genre to know what the vision of the artist is and what story they're trying to tell. And really my job, and this is just how I see my role as a producer, every producer is different. Like sometimes people will go to a producer for a sound. If you're looking for what Dr. Dre does, you go there. Or Pharrell or David Foster or Lanwall. Like those guys like do a thing. Mm. And if you want their thing, you go, you go to them. You go but, to them, yeah. But for me, I, I'd like to think of myself as being a little bit more transparent and kind of invisible. Like, I've, I've worked on country records, folk records, metal records. You know, you wouldn't... If, I, if you heard the last three records I produced, you'd be like, what, really? Same guy? Because I'm, I'm just there to help bring the artist's vision to life mm. in a way that maybe they couldn't do it on their own. But I, I don't operate in a vacuum. I'm always listening to the artist, like... But it's not where you ask me, do I work with them or work for them? Yeah. I, I work with them. I, I'm really trying to make sure that I represent what they're trying to do. And, you know, the last incarnation of this band yeah. before I met him, you know, it's, it's got to a certain place. And I think he kind of maxed out on what those that team could bring him. And I know that he wanted to be a little bit more soulful, you know, not as rock. Like there's still a rock influence to this material, but it's not a rock band. You know, and that's a real delicate balance.
for a soul band that's trying to have a bit of edge. Yeah. You know, so we talk about those things. And he's a very literate musician, and obviously he's been in this business a long time and played in other bands. So he comes with a lot of experience. A lot of artists I work with don't have that kind of experience. So huh. in some ways it's very positive. In other ways it creates, you know, some friction. But, <laughs> but, helps, but from that friction comes a better comes great songs. record. Yes. But he's honest, like 100% honest. And that's why I love working with him. And that's why I will continue to work with him because he will tell me exactly what he thinks, good yeah. or bad. And that's, I think that's important because I don't want someone to always just say like, oh, that's great, that's great, that's great because that's not going to push me. Did you know that off the bat that that's what you wanted or was it a process for you going, how dare he say this about my baby? No, no, it was, it was a process. Yeah. But when he did it, I was like, all right. Like, okay. I thank him for that. Yeah. I thank him regularly because it's, it's important to hear that because – not a lot of people will be 100% honest with you. Hmm. And it's, I, I think it's important because if you uh, put your heart and soul in something and it's not the best it can be, if you look back on it and then realize it wasn't the best it could be, it's, it's not a good feeling. But yeah. he brings the best out of me and, and pushes me and makes me work harder than I've ever worked before, to be honest with you. And that's good. When did you know that you wanted to lead rather than sort of stay in the back, play guitar only? When I when there was no one to lead, I, I literally wrote uh, in the last band. I, I wanted to have a soul band. I wrote a bunch of songs and I couldn't find a singer. Really? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to play guitar. I've always been a guitar player. I've yeah. always been on the side. I, that, that's where I, I like to be. Yeah. And then I couldn't find a singer to to fill the spot. And I knew that I had taken a I had taken a year off work, hmm. and I knew it had to be done in that year, and I couldn't find a singer, so I said, "Well, I'll I'll try it." And I I didn't I didn't know I just did what I did I did what I thought sounded good to me. Um, Does it sound good to you? Uh, it sounds better now <laughs> now now that I know. Well, it's like this, right? I've I've been playing guitar for a. a a while. Your, voice, your voice is what I mean because I cannot listen. Like I'll, I'll listen to three minutes of this podcast because just my voice just scratches my brain. Uh, I mean, I I'll like be honest with you. My voice, my yeah. voice sounds amazing in my head. There you go. <laughs> I love that. That's it. That's it. I love it. I love the way my voice sounds in my head. <laughs> I need to get to that place. <laughs> I need to get to that place. So you talked about starting out with the acoustic. Uh, just for that, just for yeah, yeah. When when we initially yeah. met, he um, he knew I had a bunch of songs. <laughs> he just wanted to hear them stripped down okay. to get his. And then you take yeah. it and you blow it up. Well, yes and no because he does some of these songs were on his previous band's record, yeah. and some of them, well, most of them, he also has these fully produced garage band demos. But then we we'll talk about parts, even like kick drum patterns, hi hat patterns. Bass lines, guitar parts, keyboard parts, horn parts, background, like everything. We talk about everything so, so that we have a sense of where it's going. So you're at that point now. We're now in an intimate environment like we are today with yeah. the horn and breaking it down. How do you take all that and then break it down? Well, as I said before, like the song is the song. So, you know, we could have done this. He could do it by himself and it'd be fine. But we thought, you know, for this audience, it'd be nice to have... You know, we have one of our background singers. We have Joel here on keys and, and Chad playing percussion. And 
again, like we surround ourselves with great musicians and great people that understand, okay, so I have to rethink this a little bit. And it, I, I mean, I think the songs still sound great. We've been talking about doing this kind of configuration. So this was a nice impetus to, yeah. to make nice. that happen. Nice. You took my question, Greg. Oh. <laughs> that, was, that, was a good, that was a good question. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so you, your album, does anyone have their album? Who doesn't have their album, by the way? They're selling their album. <laughs> that guy probably has it. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> They're selling their album. But I, I, the question about the album cover. Yes. Um, because the album cover, sort of that photo or that configuration is also in your first video. Yes. For Testify. Yes. And I read somewhere there's 88 speakers. There are, there are 88 speakers. In yeah. your mom's is it your mom's basement? Yes. Is it still are they still there? Yes. So okay, tell me the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had an idea for an album cover and it was a wall of speakers. So for the following few months after that idea, it was lots of road trips uh, and Kijiji meetups mm-hmm. to get as many speakers as possible. And then, it, and then it started to take a really cool shape uh, to cover an entire basement wall. And it, that was too big for the album cover, so we picked specific speakers. And Corey Downing, who directed it all, took, uh, you know, we built that wall. We built that wall, yeah. took a picture of it. And then. It was done, and, and I didn't want to get rid of it because it was such a great uh, piece. It, it's a piece of art to me. It's a piece of art to me, that whole Oh, so the configuration wall. is still... Oh, as... yeah. Well, it's different than on the album cover because with the album cover, we had we started from scratch, and we did what fit the space we were in. Yeah. In the basement, there's a specific wall it has to fit in. Okay. So no that, took a while, that took a while to um, figure out what speakers worked and when. And then I took a picture of that and numbered them all and moved it to the video shoot. <laughs> and that exact wall that you see in the video shoot is the exact wall that's in the basement. That's in your basement. Yeah. What does mom think about the wall? She thinks it's cool. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't go down there, so she doesn't see it. <laughs> but uh, she, I mean, she saw it. She thought it was cool. Yeah. She's, she's a pretty hip mom. She doesn't know it's still there, does she? Oh, no, she knows. She's, so she doesn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She's very uh, cool with with things that I like to do. Yeah. This this mic that you have, these are yeah. your mics. Yes. Why, like, what is up with this? Uh, exactly my thought. <laughs> <laughs> Justin does not like these microphones. No? I like no. the way they look. Well, from a know, production perspective? Yeah. Well, from a visual perspective, oh. they we've look never cool. used it in the studio, but yeah. they're problematic most times we play live. Yeah. We're working on that, though. We're, we're, we're looking into getting them Together? modded. You're working on like, no, just the relationship? No, we're, we're not working on that at all. Uh, no, uh, I'll bring people in for that. Yeah, yeah. He's going to... He, yeah. We're, record, we're figuring it out. Do you record with these? No, we don't. They're not... They're, you know what? They, they look fantastic. Yeah. Um, I like the way they feel. Um, I remember you know, seeing James Brown sing on microphones like this. And to me, I mean, that makes me feel great. So um, I've always liked using these for this is for when I stepped to the front whenever I was doing backups playing guitar uh, this didn't I had one of these just in my house because I liked the way it looked like I've always liked them and then I figured when I started fronting bands I thought I'm going to do that and they're just they just feel good in my hand okay the the other ones I mean I hold the other ones wrong because I I like you know the way that I would hold it so 
I'm glad there's no cameras here right now. Oh, we have cameras. No, I'm talking. I'm talking. You know, I mean, I'm not doing it again. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> These just feel great. Didn't you have a mic with Zools? That no, never mind. We'll leave that. That was my brother's microphone. Oh, without your brother. Yeah. Oh, okay. Never yeah. mind. Yeah. Blame your brother for yeah. it. So, but does, yeah, I, I I just like them. I like the way they look. I like the way they feel. Does anyone know the Iron Sheik story? Does anyone not know the Iron Sheik story? Okay, there's a bunch of people. Yeah. So, so for the for the young kids here, Iron Sheik was this. He was is Canadian or American? I don't know, but he was he was the Iron Sheik. He was back when Iran and the U.S. They're, they're fighting again, but you know they were going to war. And um, he was a huge bad guy wrestler yeah, in the WWF. He was the heel. WWF back in the day. <laughs> back when it was yeah, I was a huge wrestling fan when I was uh, growing up and. Uh, I had my favorites, but uh, in the previous band, we had a show in Hamilton. And as we are driving there, I'm getting a text from the, the promoter saying um, they had to move this uh, roast, the roast of the, uh, the Iron Sheik. I think they were roasting him. Mm -hmm. um, and they had to move it from the venue that it was supposed to be at for whatever reason. So they were going to do it at the venue we were playing at. So we were playing with the like with the roast of the Iron Sheik. So I, I like to I like to think that like he you opened know, for we, you. He opened for him. I mean, he went first, so technically, you know. <laughs> but it was cool. We met him. I saw the belt. It was it was great. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. That is really really awesome. Um, it, uh, we haven't planned. Is it? Does anyone in the crowd have a question? That you want to ask, and I'll repeat it on the mic. What's your favorite venue to play at? Toronto? What's your favorite ah. Toronto venue to play Good at? Question. Don't feel any pressure to say this one. I know it's going <laughs> acoustically. This one. <laughs> uh, I, man, that's a that is a tough question. Uh, I have a, a soft spot for the horseshoe. Yes. Um, uh, there's there's news that the Elmo Combo is coming back. Uh, I have a, a place in my heart there as well. Um, there are many venues that I would like to become my favorite. <laughs> Massey Hall being one. That's, that's on my bucket list for many reasons, one being sure. that it's called Massey Hall. But uh, the horseshoe. The horseshoe. It, it, I, I probably, I think it was, I'm trying to think if that was the first venue I ever played live in Toronto. I don't know why, but I love that place. Awesome. Justin? Well, I don't want to. I'm just going to say it. I, I've been very fortunate to play Massey Hall four times. So, and um, yeah, I'm just going to do this because, you know, I'm just going to say it because he talked about this guy earlier. But when I was playing with Jack Soul, um, we were very fortunate to do a tour with James Brown for a month across Canada. Wow. And we did one show at what I still call the Most Amphitheater, which is. Um, well, this is being recorded. Anyway, so we played the Molson Amphitheater, and that was fun. But uh, then with, later that year, we played Massey Hall, and uh, it was amazing. We'd played there before. I remember when the band had only been around for a year, we got a call like two days before it opened for this Italian singer named Zucchero or Zucchero. And it's like for me, it was a dream venue. I've seen so many awesome concerts there. If we're talking about clubs, I mean, I'm going to lament the bamboo. I know I already mentioned it before, but... It was back when the Blue Jays were in their heyday, and they all used to come and hang out, and it was just one of those places where people would go. 
So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the bamboo and, and Massey Hall, and I hope they don't screw up Massey Hall with their refurbishing of it, yeah. which didn't need to happen anyway. That's so true. Anyone else? Yes. How do you balance uh, your music career and teaching? It's pretty easy. In the day, I teach, <laughs> <laughs> and at three o five, I do this. <laughs> um, it's it is hard at times. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, time off um, in, mm -hmm. in the summers and, and, and things like that. Uh, but it's also um, difficult because when I'm in that mode, it's hard to be in this mode. And when I'm in this mode, it's hard to be in that mode. But I try to balance it uh, as best I can by mixing it. Right? I, I, I teach music to kids. so um, Do you they know, know some, who you are? They do. They do. They uh, they they sing. They sing along. They ask me when the next video is coming out. Really? They they, they ask me to. Uh, we'll be doing vocal exercises, and then they'll ask me to sing, testify, and uh, things like that. But at the same time, they're uh, you know in doing things with them, I, I come up with ideas for the band, so it, it works because I'm always surrounded by music. So. It's cool. And sometimes I'll be just messing around and, and a student will say like, oh, what is that? Or like, oh, that sounds great. And that, it's cool to me. That is so awesome. Yeah. Yes. How was it winning an award? Oh, you won an award. I did. I won an award. It was, it was cool. What did um, you win? Uh, for the Mississauga Music Awards, I won Song of the Year for Testify. Song of the Year? Song of the Year last year. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mean... I don't do this to win awards. I do this to sure. to feel feel good, and uh, that made me feel even better. Uh, just to have that happen, it was cool. Um, we, I'm always meeting other musicians and, and other promoters, and and when people are into your stuff, it's a great feeling. And when people like what you do, it puts a smile on your face. And I I like to have a smile on my face as much as possible. That's awesome. Yeah. Any more questions? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Part one question. Your favorite Jack Soul song. Favorite Jack Soul oh, song. Mm. Um, well, first, I'm just going to say I was very fortunate to play with Hayden Meals, an amazing singer and writer, and it was yeah. a very tragic circumstance in Sorely which he passed missed, away. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, I'm going to have to say Unconditional. It's mm. from the first record. It's kind of the song that broke him, and yeah. we had a, a different version that we recorded that, that came out. Um, and probably still believe in love because you know everybody knows that song and and honestly when we recorded it I remember we did that record in like five days and it was just like another song and and I remember the version that everyone hears is like one take off the floor including the vocals and then he did his harmonies and it was track nine on the record like nobody thought it was just like an album track and then the label says, oh, I think that should be a single. And I'm like, uh, okay, <laughs> sure. And then all of a sudden it becomes this massive thing. But, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have played with Hayden and, and the band because if it weren't for that band, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't have met you because it's kind of how, how a lot of people you know, in the business know who I am from, from that time. I mean, it's a little bit different now because it's many years removed. But, so that's, that's part one. What's part two? <laughs> Hey, Jay, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite sister? Is that what the oh, question man. was? That's a tough one. <laughs> what? <laughs> the mic's not working again. Can you? You are. 
Hayden Pence used here, these mics. Right? <laughs> What's that? Hayden, did Hayden use this mic or was it just I for the videos? I think it was just for the videos. Just Again, for the, like, see, it's a visual just thing. Just for looks. It's a looks it's, thing. It's definitely I mean, just for looks. <laughs> you know. As many things are nowadays. As <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying that. I don't have any social media accounts, so I don't. I'm not obsessed with taking pictures of everything and then posting them and worrying about like likes and retweets. And I don't do any of that. So we had a question way in the back. The tall, good-looking guy back there. <laughs> it sounds like he knows the answer. <laughs> Call him up here. I think he knows the answer. <laughs> so he's, uh, he's asking you about an accessory or something that is changed or improved or that, that you sort of utilize your style. I mean, yeah. I used to play in a band that used a lot of you know, we used to dress up and have a lot of accessories. <laughs> uh, some I can mention, some like I what? can't. Uh, you know, like wigs and like yeah, kind of like guar, kind of like guar, right? I didn't know any uh, of this. Let's yeah. keep going. <laughs> yes, yeah, go on. I, I mean, you know, I used to wear um, uh, a, a two foot afro wig. Oh, that wasn't and, uh, your real yeah. hair. No. No. Oh, okay. In Zool's Evil Disco. No. Okay. I had I had long hair, and then I just tucked it in the wig because <laughs> that was. Uh, you know, that's what kind of spawned the fan as well. You know, the, is this a the, former Zool's Evil Disco band uh, member? There it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Rumors that there's going to be a reunion. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was a, a lot of things that that made me do uh, that just kind of like brought out that stage persona of, yeah. of me to to just kind of like give more and and. Uh, do, you so, know what, do you know what Strombo called that band? Strombo called the band Zool's, Zool's no. Evil Disco. Kick-ass, funky, uh, Parliament Funkadelic. And again, not... No, that's, 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 and that was so a compliment. I, when yeah. I think of P-Funk, yeah. that's you know the same similar style that you we guys loved, were doing at we, the time. We loved them. And then, uh, definitely. We actually uh, opened for uh, Bernie uh, when yep. he came to call the office, and that was probably one of the best shows I ever played with that band. It was, it was uh, amazing. Yeah. Cool. Any other... You have a question, yeah? Uh, what... Uh, Oh, that oh my, man, that's a that's the perfect question <laughs> to end on. Is is who are you listening to? Yeah, oh, from both of you. You want me to start? Yeah, okay. yeah. Just so, you start. You know, probably feel like I should give like a genre related answer, but I'm not going to. I'm going to name three artists. One, everyone knows. Two, I don't think anybody knows. So I'll start with. I love the new Ozzy Osbourne tracks. I think they're unbelievable. I was an Ozzy fan as a kid. And I love what Andrew Watt, this this young producer who's like a super hot producer right now, what he's done, and he's got the drummer from the Chili Peppers and Duff from Guns N' Roses and Slash, and it's for me, it's like just like knowing where what Ozzy's been through and what he's done, like that's why I like it so much. It's not that it's heavy music; it's if you listen to the lyrics and you just hear how heartfelt it is and the duet he does with Elton John, it's wow. I can't wait to hear this record, the whole thing. Um, then the two other ones. Uh, one is a band called the Punch Brothers, who are a progressive bluegrass band from the United States that I absolutely love. Um, they have um, a new record out called All Ashore. And then a piano player from Amsterdam named Joop Beving. It's just a solo piano record, which is, for me, like, I, I like music that doesn't have guitar, believe it or not. And I like instrumental music a mm. lot. Um, so those are the three artists. I know they have nothing to do with R&B soul, but... That's what I'm listening to. That's awesome. Uh, I listen to a lot of things, but 
lately I've been listening to a lot of Curtis Harding and uh, the Black Pumas I just started getting into, who are a fantastic band who are doing very well. And um, I've been listening to a lot of Jane's Addiction, but that's because, I mean, that's that's something that I... Like old stuff. Old stuff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, and Stone Temple Pilots. That's that's just what's been on the record player lately. Awesome. Listen, guys, thank you so much for doing this. I know they're very excited to hear some music. You guys ready for some music? All right. Well, we're done. Again, thank you. And uh, thank you, you guys. Let's do it. All right. All right.